Good evening, everyone. Good evening, folks. Good evening, family. Uh, it's a wonderful time again today. A wonderful opportunity that God has afforded us today to study His Word. And I hope we can all hear me properly. Oh, okay, I can see on the group. Raymond else says clear through. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Okay, please, if we can hear me properly, please let's indicate. I hope the volume is not too low, and I hope I'm not too loud either. Good evening, everyone. And um, it's a wonderful time in God's presence once again. Um, it's always an awesome thing, and it's always a thing of privilege and a great opportunity to bring God's word to us live and direct welcome to church welcome to bible study um so before we start let's just uh, say a quick word of prayer our dear heavenly father in we thank you we bless your holy name we give you glory for today we thank you for an awesome time in your presence we thank you for how our, how our days have um, how our day has gone so far we thank you, O oh God, for bringing us together like this on this platform where distance and time is not a barrier. Lord, we give you glory and we praise you. Father, we approach your word, O oh God, with all gravity and with all reverence, Lord. And we ask, Father, for divine understanding. We ask, Lord, that you fill us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. We ask, that you, we ask that you enlighten our eyes, O oh God, that we may see the reason of the hope of the call in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for giving us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, not only to understand your word, but, Lord, to be doers of your word, most importantly. For it is in the doing of your word that we are blessed. We give you glory, and we thank you for such an awesome time. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Okay, so once again, welcome everyone to an awesome time of uh, Bible study. I feel very privileged um, anchoring this tonight. And um, I just want us to uh, go straight into the Word of God, actually, for time's sake. But before we go into it, uh, I would just like to encourage us to study our bibles personally you see we're living in an age where there is so much confusion in the world we live in right now there is so much um there are many things that are being modeled up now i'm not even talking about things in the world i'm talking about things in the church actually when i say church i'm talking about the established you know christian religion in that sense I'm talking about Christendom generally, both in Nigeria and, you know, abroad and all over the world like that. There are so many false doctrines going around. There are so many false practices. Uh, there are so many Christians, you know, excusing evil. And, you know, it, rather than make excuse for righteousness, they are making excuses for evil. And, you know, we're living in a generation where Christians are so ignorant of God's commandments and God's word and we're living in a generation where Christians right now depend more on what they are told by fellow human beings, whether pastor, fellow Christians, or, you know, anybody that holds sway with them. They depend on 
the opinions of such people than the opinion that has been directly revealed in the word of God, that has been clearly revealed in the word of God. And you see, living in such a generation, we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful to study God's word for what it says, not for what we think it says. Because if we study it for what we think it says, we might fall into deception. And if we fall into deception, there is no telling where that can actually lead us to. Because when the devil deceives, he's not playing pranks with the person. When the devil, when the devil deceives, he's not, uh, he's not doing it for the short term. His end goal at the end of the day is to lead such a person to hell, to share the same destiny that he has already because he has been judged already, you see. So we need to pay earnest heed to God's word. We need to pay earnest heed to what the Lord has clearly said in his word. Now, I'm not even talking about seeking, um, you know, extraordinary revelation, you know, going up the mountain to go and hide yourself for a long time to get visions and dreams from God. You know, that's not even what I'm saying. I'm talking about just the raw reading of the text of God's word itself. Let the text itself speak to you. You see, the text itself is good enough for us. We don't need to seek extra revelation from somewhere. It's not bad to have extra revelation. It's not bad to have um, uh, prophetic visions and the rest like that. There is a place for that. But most importantly, as Apostle Peter said in his letter, he said, you know, much more than we saw Jesus on the mountain being transfigured, we were witnesses of his glory and his majesty. Yes, we saw all of that. We saw, we saw Moses and Elijah stand, you know, with him and talking about things to come, you know, in his presence with dazzling glory and everything. But much more than that, Peter said, we have a more sure, a more accurate word of prophecy, which is scriptures that have been written for our sake. So I really want to encourage us to pay attention to scripture. Let's not uh, uh, relegate the Bible to something that we put under our pillows to sleep on at night, to uh, open on our heads, uh, to chase uh, demons away or to uh, avoid bad dreams or, you know, to act as dream catchers or something like that. You know, let's not treat the book as something, uh, just an ordinary superstitious book. But let's read it. Let's get into its content. Because it's, it's in getting into its content that we won't be deceived. We're living in an age of deception. This is an age of deception. And uh, we do not want to fall into uh, the deception of the devil in these last days. Lastly on that, I'll just say that uh, me saying that this is an age of deception is not just me saying it. But it is what the word of God says. You see, if we read Matthew 24 closely, when Jesus was talking about the signs of the last days, signs of the end, you know, the first thing he said was, take care that you are not deceived. The first thing that Jesus warned that will be prevalent in the last days is deception. Deception. And the apostles said the same thing. In uh, 2 Thessalonians, Paul said the same thing. In 2 Peter, Peter said the same thing. In the epistle of Jude, he said the same thing. Deception is the primary weapon of the devil in these last days, much more than anything. So therefore, we must stick, we must glue ourselves to the word of God with all our strength. Opportunities like this to listen to God's word 
in spirit and in truth must not be wasted. Opportunities to study God's word on your own personally must not be wasted. Opportunity to discuss you know God's word to ask questions over it and get your questions answered either you know uh, through discussion with friends with family at the church or anything such opportunities must not be wasted we must seek every opportunity to understand God's word for what it says so that we may be able to live <clears throat> according to that standard so um having said that I just want to go ahead tonight to encourage us, basically, by sharing with us a few thoughts uh, along faith. Yes, faith. F-A-I-T-H. Now, that might seem very elementary and very basic for some of us. But truth be told, as basic as it is, uh, it's something that we must really have a good grasp of in this our generation because people say faith is several things. Now, as basic as it is, let's take, for example, a building, a skyscraper. As high as um, Eiffel Tower is or a Statue of Liberty or any tall structure you can imagine in the world, you see, the foundation is very basic. The foundation of such building is so basic that it is, it, is, um, it is easily ignored by passers-by and people who uh, probably come to the building to observe as uh, tourists or stuff like that, visitors and everything. You, you understand what I'm saying? Now, people walk by and hardly does anybody think about the foundation or what it is made of. But guess what? There will come a day when people will think about that foundation and that day will be when the structure collapses or when there is an earthquake or there is a natural disaster or catastrophe that shakes the entire building to the point that the building is about to um, you know, get destroyed. That is when people actually pay attention to the foundation. You see, the foundation can be ignored, but it is very, very vital. And it is very, very, uh, how do I say now? It's very, very important. Now, faith is actually one of those things that the Bible calls elementary for us believers. You know, tonight I'm speaking basically to believers. If there is only any unbeliever listening online, it's fine. You can listen and the Holy Spirit would, um, I trust that the Holy Spirit would minister these words to you and you will find true faith in Christ Jesus. But for the rest of us, I want us to examine faith. What is the Christian faith? What is the Christian faith? Especially in our generation where there is a lot of um, faiths, you know, plural faiths. And where all faiths in that sense are coming together to bind as one and to say, oh yeah, we serve the same God and all roads lead to the market as if heaven is the marketplace. You know, all roads lead to God in heaven. All uh, we, uh, you Christians, you call him this. Uh, Jews call him that. Muslims call him this. Uh, Buddhists call him that. And you know, we just have different names and different modes of approaching him. And uh, we are all, you know, we are all going to the same destination. But what is the Christian faith? What is faith in Christianity? What does it mean to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, some of us might have heard me ask this question. And the question is, oh, you believe 
that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. You believe that, right? You say yes. Okay, prove it to me. Now, when it comes to people proving such a thing, then there, there comes a problem. Now, why would there be a problem? There will be a problem because such a person doesn't know the faith to which he is professing. Such a person actually, in the real sense of things, practically, doesn't know what the Christian faith is all about. And that's what I actually just want to discuss this night. And we're going to examine a few scriptures along these lines and see how the Holy Spirit will lead us in these thoughts. First of all, I want us to go to the popular scripture on faith, which is Hebrews 11. We're going to read Hebrews 11, the first verse only. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Okay, so I'll read from here. And I'm reading from uh, the New King James translation. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, like I said, many people have different understanding of what the Christian faith is. Now, I don't know. Let me just try to see if I can remember some things that I've heard, you know, over time on what people say faith is. Now, I've heard stuff like faith is just for you to believe. Just believe. Once you believe, it's done. As if it's just about acknowledge, acknowledging a certain amount of facts. And once you acknowledge those facts, you are good to go. It doesn't really matter what you do with your acknowledgement of the fact. As long as you acknowledge it, you're fine. You're good to go. Now, that's what some people think faith is. And some people call it uh, easy believing. Easy believing. That means you just believe easily and that's it. And they just say, you know what? Uh, having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, when you want to come into Christ, all you need to do is just believe. And they explain the belief as if just acknowledge the fact that there was a man called Jesus that existed sometime in history. He claimed to be the son of God. Okay, just acknowledge that. And he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Just acknowledge. Do you acknowledge that? And the poor unbeliever is like, yeah, I acknowledge it. Oh, really? You acknowledge it? Oh, bam, you're saved. Is that really it? Now, that's one. Another concept I've heard of is faith is a currency now this concept they talk about it as if faith is a stepping stone to get something that you want or to achieve your ambition or your dreams so therefore faith in god or faith in the lord jesus christ is painted in such a picture that it looks like it looks like an addendum to a main thing as if it's an uh, uh as if it's uh it's a dessert to the main course as if it's not the main course but it's a dessert to the main course i hope we understand what I, what i mean by that you know as if it's an extra to your life you know i hear people say things like 
oh, you know what, to achieve your dreams, you know, you do this, you do that, you work hard, you plan right, you, what's your uh, five-year plan, what's your 10-year plan, oh, this, 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 oh, and by the way, don't forget the G factor, oh, what's the G factor, oh, that is the God factor, and they add faith in God to it as if it's just one of the factors to get to your dreams, and they use faith in God as a, as a stepping stone to achieving your ambitions. Is that really what biblical faith is? Now, those are the two most common concepts of faith that I know are going around in modern Christendom today. And I just want us to take a look at scriptures, what scriptures say for themselves, for itself. And let's see what real biblical Christian faith is like. Now, I'll read that scripture again. Hebrews 11, 1. It says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Oh, by the way, let me mention one last concept that just came to my mind now is a concept that is taken from this scripture, which is not true. Now, the concept is this. They say, since the scripture says, Now, faith is... Uh, that means faith must be instantaneous. That means when you're believing God for things, in terms of when you're having faith in God to do something for you, you must have an instantaneous belief that God will do it right now. That faith is a now thing. But is that what the Bible really says? Now, I don't know how many of us have gone to the preceding verse before Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, let's check what the preceding verse says or the preceding verses let's read from uh, verse 35 of the preceding chapter which is chapter 10 like i said like i said um to some of us before that the bible and like we all know anyway the bible wasn't written with chapters and verses originally they were written in books the bible was written in books each book per time as god permitted it to be revealed you see, so it's good we read things in context. Now, let's see what it says from verse 35 of chapter 10. It says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. Mark that. You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Note that the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Do you see that contrast there? The just shall keep on living. It's a continuous thing. You keep on living by faith. So there's nothing instantaneous about it. You keep on living by faith. We saw endurance, okay, in the preceding verse, verse 36. Here again, it says the just shall live by faith. But here is where the contrast comes in. But if anyone draws back, what's the opposite of living by faith? It's drawing back. That means you backslide. You stop trusting God, right? But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39. 
but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Another translation says that, uh, but we are of those who go on believing to the saving of the soul. Then that verse now comes. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if we read it in this light, you see that the definition of faith falls in a right context. It falls in the context of living faith, a faith that you live by, a kind of consistent, uh, ongoing, continual, persistent, enduring faith and trust in God. You see, if you ask me what faith is, faith really, according to my understanding, is absolute trust in God, his character and his power. Absolute trust in God, that is, his character and his power. And we'll see that as we go on in this study tonight. But you see, faith is not something instantaneous like they say. As if, oh, you're believing God for something. If you don't have it now, that means you don't have enough faith. And you hear some preachers tell you that, oh, since you're not obtaining that result right now, you know, whatever you believe God for, uh, whatever it may be, it covers everything. They'll tell you, oh, you know what? It's because you, you, are, you are not exercising your faith enough. And you're like, hey, I trust God with everything in me. Like, I mean, I've done all that I know how to do. I, I mean, really, I don't have faith. How, how is that possible? Like, and, and they overthrow some people's faith by saying that, Meanwhile, what the Bible really says biblical faith is, is not just believing God for something instantaneous, which has its place really, but that is not the totality of what biblical faith is. Biblical faith really is a persistent, continual, ongoing trust in God, in his character, in his power. Now, let's see what that faith is again in Hebrews 11.1. It says, now faith is... The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I'll divide this in this way. The first word I want us to examine there is substance. Now, what is a substance? A substance is something you can obviously see, you can feel, maybe you can taste, you can, you know, touch it or, you know, a substance is a substance. Maybe uh, a plastic cup, uh, maybe pinch of salt, uh, the pot in your kitchen, your pen, your pencil. Those are all substances. They are all materials in that sense. That's another word we can use for substance. Okay. Now, another word I want us to examine is evidence. What is an evidence? An evidence uh, would almost be defined as what I just said now. Something you can see, something you can probably touch if you can. You know, something you can per perceive, you can hear, you can... I mean, an evidence is an evidence. For example, we're in court and, um, you know, someone has been uh, convicted for a crime and stuff like that. And they brought him around and they're like, oh, uh, okay, he stole this, he stole that. Okay, where's the evidence? And they bring out a CCTV video of the person sneaking into a store to steal something. You know, the evidence can be seen. It cannot be denied by, you know, the physical senses. Exactly. Evidence cannot be denied by your physical senses. It is something that your physical senses, your sense of sight, your sense of hearing, your sense of smell, your sense of taste, touch, everything you can see and touch and hear what an evidence is. 
now substance evidence now the second category i want us to look at is things hoped for and things not seen these things i'm saying are in the verse that i just read right now i'm not just picking it from somewhere okay we've looked at substance we've looked at evidence there are things that we can sense with our physical senses right now let's look at the other category which is things hoped for and things not seen what in the world is that i think is as clear as what the text says without looking for any extra revelation to impute into this thing the text says things hoped for when you hope for something your physical senses cannot perceive it totally for example maybe you've um you've um you've processed your relocation to canada all this while and everything has taken maybe a year or a year plus and you've been on it for a while and suddenly every, everything has clicked you know you have all your documents ready and everything now you've not been to canada yet right but you are hoping to get to canada your relocation to canada your arriving at your destination called canada is the thing you are hoping for right now you cannot perceive that with your physical senses what i mean is you are not yet in canada physically you cannot perceive it you cannot feel whether the place is as cold as they said it is you cannot know whether the place is finer than uh, uh, uk or wherever you may think you you want to compare it with you know you cannot really tell per se with your physical senses 100 percent what canada is like until you get there for real so that is things hoped for. You are hoping for it, right? Now, things not seen, I think is as clear as day. Things not, not seen are things not seen. You've not seen the Canada you are relocating to yet, okay? But you are hoping that one day you will see it, isn't it? So now, let's string all of that together. If I'll put it in my own words now, this is what I will say. Now, faith is the physical aspect of the invisible things or faith is the physical aspect of the things that are not physical or i can say also faith is the material aspect of the immaterial things now before we start thinking that uh, the material things i'm talking about is uh, cars houses luxury and all these kind of worldly things no 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 we'll soon see that very soon now you see in um mark let's go to mark mark chapter i think it's chapter two in mark chapter two there's a story of a man that jesus healed there a paralytic that uh, his friends didn't have any other option of how to get him to jesus but to break through the roof of the house that jesus was staying in and to you know lower him right in front of jesus because of the crowd that was present and in verse 5 scripture says something very interesting there or let's say let's say from verse 4 let's read from verse 4 it says mark 2 verse 4 it says and when they could not come near him because of the crowd they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now, verse 5 says, When Jesus saw their face, when Jesus saw their face, 
he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus saw their faith. You see that faith is indeed a substance of things hoped for. It's indeed an evidence. Remember I said that it is something that can be sensed by your physical senses. Jesus saw their faith. Now, what did Jesus see? Let's paint the drama quickly. Most likely, Jesus saw their desperation. He saw being God in the flesh and being, uh, being, uh, having the ability to perceive people's thoughts and people's mindsets. You know, Jesus must have known that some people were trying to get in but couldn't get in. Jesus must have heard them climbing on top of the roof while he was preaching inside the house, under the roof. He must have heard them, he must have heard their footsteps over him. He must have seen how they were tearing the tiles off the roof. He must have seen the desperation on the, on the faces of the friends trying to get their friend, uh, this paralytic guy, across to him. And he must have seen how the crowd must have responded. People must have been like very amazed. And even some people might have been angry that what kind of nonsense disruption is this in, uh, in, our, in whatever we are doing here with Jesus. I mean, carry this man away, Jerry. But you see, these men did not mind. They were persistent and they went on and they tore the roof open and they lowered this man in front of Jesus. And the Bible says, Jesus saw their faith. He saw it. Faith is something that cannot be hidden. You see, we live in a generation where Christians excuse um, their laxity and their lack of commitment and their lukewarmness by saying things like, uh, faith is a thing of the mind. You cannot see my heart, but uh, uh, God knows my heart and God knows that I'm trying my best. You see, if you are, if you are trying your best as a believer, not only God will see you, not only the devil will notice you, but other people, both believers and unbelievers, will take note of you. You see, this is biblical faith. We'll see it right now in scripture. Because biblical faith is something that can be perceived by the physical senses. Now, I'm, we're just going to take um, a few verses in Hebrews 11 here. It's a very long read. I encourage us to study it on our own. But we'll just take a few characters here. The entire Hebrews 11 is filled with you know, Old Testament saints who the writer of Hebrews was talking about that, you know, by faith, so-so-and-so person did this, by faith, so-so-and-so person did this. Now, if we take our time to read the entire Hebrews 11, you will notice something common to every example that was made. What is common is this. Just one thing. And that one thing is that each person that was mentioned did something as a result of faith. Each person that was mentioned did not rest in just acknowledging some facts or acknowledging an instruction from God. Their faith was faith indeed because they acted in obedience to what God instructed or to whatever was revealed to them by God. We'll just take a few examples. Um, Hebrews 11, let's take Noah, the first example, that's verse 7, okay, verse 7, Hebrews eleven seven. 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, do you see that, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, 
by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. We often talk about righteousness according to faith. Righteousness according to faith is not by works. It's not by works and everything. Uh, my sincere hope is that tonight we'll see the difference between this righteousness by faith and righteousness by works. And we'll see the difference between work of faith as talked, as talked about by James and work of the law as talked about by Paul in Romans, Romans 4 and 5. Now, you see that Noah being divinely warned of things yet not yet seen. Now, what were the things not yet seen? Remember the definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Now, what was not yet seen in the days of Noah in the instruction that God gave him? God simply warned him that, hey, the end of all flesh has come to me and I'm going to destroy the entire world with a flood. It has never happened in history before that the whole world will be flooded with water. In fact, it was so flooded that the highest of mountains, if Mount Everest was still existing back in those days, Mount Everest was covered with water. The entire earth was covered. That has never ha happened before in the history of human beings existing on earth. But you see, Noah was hoping for that. He was like, wow, so God, this is going to happen. Okay. What must I do? God instructed him, do this, do that, do this, do that. We all know the story, to build an ark, right? Now, when Noah was building the ark, could that action be sensed physically by people around him, both believers and unbelievers alike? Of course. People could see in a distance that this man was building something really huge. I can imagine someone, a passerby, coming to Noah and saying, ah, what are you building? An ark. And ask for what? To float on water. Which water? In the midst of land. Yeah, God has warned me that there will come a flood. Flood? That has never happened. Yeah, I know it has never happened. We've never seen it before. But I need to move in godly fear, in obedience to what God has said. Uh, like, wow, you really believe that this God is going to do this? Say, so, yeah, I believe. And here's the proof of my belief. I'm building an ark. Now, that is Noah. We see that. Now, let's go to... I mean, Abraham is the big one here in Hebrews 11. But let's just read just a statement about Abraham. That's uh, the next verse, verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was even going. Can you beat that? Not even knowing where he was going. He went out. You see, Abraham did not just acknowledge the fact that he was spoken to by God. Because, now let me say this quickly. I, I hear some believers say sometimes, and they talk about this in this light. They try to um, approve their current status with God by the fact that they hear God speak to them. You see, the devil hear God speaking to him. You hearing God speak to you does not make you a qualified, uh, committed disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a, committed of, of, uh, being a committed disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ involves just more than hearing God's words. Involves just more than even hearing God's audible voice. No, if you like, hear God's audible voice from now to tomorrow. If you are not doing anything about it, if you are not living in obedience to that voice you are hearing from heaven, you see, you are not living according to biblical faith. Biblical faith involves obedience. 
No obedience, no faith, according to the Bible. Don't pride yourself in hearing God. Oh, you get visions and dreams from God. So what? What are you doing about it? Oh, you know the Bible from cover to cover. So what? What are you doing about it? Oh, you attend the church where uh, the doctrine is taught uh, rightly and the word is divided rightly and uh, everything is done rightly in terms of doctrine and programs and all of that. So what? What are you doing about it? That's the most important thing. That is real biblical faith. So you see, Abraham here, verse 8, obeyed. Did you see that? It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place, which he will receive, an, uh, to go out of uh, the place, to a place where he will receive as an inheritance. You see. Now, one more example we'll just take is... um. Okay, you know what? Let's just go to James. Let's go straight to James because of time. You can read the, the entire Hebrews 11 when you have uh, the time to personally. Let's examine what James has to say about this. James actually hit the nail on the head straight away. James chapter 2 is a scripture we're very familiar with also. But um, it does no harm to read it and examine it closely again. James chapter 2, from verse 14. Now here, James made an example of two distinctive people. Now when I say distinctive, I mean there were two people on opposite side of a, of a spectrum. <laughs> what I mean by that is, he mentioned, he talked about a good man and he talked about a bad lady. A good man, Abraham, in terms of just normal moral standards, if you know what I mean. And a bad lady, Rahab, the prostitute. And he drew a common line through two of them. And the common line he, he drew through two of them was faith. And we'll see how that works out. Now, from verse 14, James chapter 2. said, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Another translation will say, Can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now let's pause here for a moment. Now this 
righteousness by righteousness by faith thing. You see that <laughs> righteousness by faith is not just by profession with our mouths and confessing that, oh, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and stuff like that. It is culminated in obedience to God's instructions. Imagine if God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham was like, ah, God, you know what? In my heart of heart, you know I love you. You know I love you in my heart. Or you can see my heart. You know I love you with everything in me. Ah, but you know what? As for this Isaac thing, just take it from me, Father. Just take it from me, God, that, you know, in my heart, I've sacrificed him already. Just take it from me like that. Just accept that kind of, you know, offering. Accept it. Don't worry. God, don't worry. Let's not take it too far. You know, I don't believe it's actual. I don't be, I know. Imagine if Abraham begins to spiritualize that instruction. He says, oh, you know, I know you want me to count my son as dead. Maybe not to uh, give him preferential treatment over Ishmael. And he begins to explain it away like that. And he says, eh, God, you know, yeah, I think I understand what you mean. Uh, yeah, I won't give him preferential treatment. Yeah, I will treat everybody equally. Yeah, I understand. I should kill him that way, right? Okay, that means, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. In my mind, yeah, I've done what you said. And God is busy telling him, hey, go to a mountain that I will show you, my friend. And he's like, no, no, God, you know what? Yeah, that mountain, oh, yeah, like his Mount Zion is in my heart. Yeah, uh, you know, is is a spiritual thing. Yeah, I, God, yeah, you know, you see it in my heart. James said, such a person is a foolish one. That's what he says. He says, oh, foolish man, don't you know that faith without works is dead? He said, was Abraham our father not justified by works? Now, this is where the confusion comes in. Many of us think that James here is preaching legalism, meaning that, uh uh-uh, we are justified by works. I thought uh, Paul said in Romans that uh, by works of the flesh, uh, by, by works, no flesh shall be justified. Now, that's the mystic. Paul in Romans 4 and 5 was talking about works of the law of Moses. Works that involve things like, you know, the sacrificial system under the law of Moses. The fact that, uh, okay, um, when a woman is in a menstrual period, she stays away for a social amount of days. You know, all those ordinances in the Old Testament laws. Those are the works that Paul was saying cannot justify you. You see, in Hebrews, he talks about the fact that, you know, it's impossible for the blood of goats and, uh, and heifer, that's the, a red cow, you know, and all the blood of all these animals, it is impossible for them to, you know, remit sins. It's impossible for sins to be washed away by the blood of all these animals. That's the works that Paul was talking about there, that no flesh shall be justified by the works of the law. You see, but the works talked about here in James is actually a different Greek word. And the the word is ergon. It means deeds. Just like what they say that a friend, uh, uh, how how do they say it now? Uh, A friend in need is a friend indeed. Meaning a friend that shows up when you are in need, you see, is a friend indeed. That means he's a friend in action. He's a real friend. So you see, I would like us to look at that word works and not get confused because of the translation that we hold. The word works there is actually deeds or action. So what James is saying here is, a faith without action, can, can that kind of faith save someone? And of course, the answer to that is a big no. 
and it says Abraham was justified by action when he offered Isaac. And we see in the story of Abraham there found in Genesis that it was when he took Isaac to this mountain signified by God and he was about to put the knife to his throat that an angel from heaven called out to Abraham. The angel did not call out to Abraham before he did that. And the angel started saying some things and God made a covenant with Abraham that day. You know, that covenant came as a result of the action that proved his faith. Now, let's go on. Um, verse 20. Okay, it said, and he was called a friend of God. Verse 24. It says, you see then that a man is justified by works, that is by action and not by faith only. That means not just by the faith that James is using here. He's using it sarcastically, like not just by acknowledging the facts, but by backing up your so-called acknowledgement by action. Or backing it up with action, sorry. Verse 25 now, he says, Likewise, this is the bad lady now. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works or action is dead also. Now, the story of Rahab is found in Joshua. You know, sorry, is it Joshua? Numbers now, sorry. Where they sent um, uh, spies, you know, to the city of Jericho. Sorry, it's in Joshua. Where they sent spies to the city of Jericho. And Rahab was the one that kind of received these spies. The way they got to Rahab's house was not explained there. But anyway, they got in contact with one another. And Rahab hid the spies. And she knew that people were going to come around. I mean, the city of Jericho was well fortified. Back in those days, Jericho was a city that had like one of the strongest military fortresses in that civilization. And you see, their security system must have been very, very extremely tight. So immediately the spies were in the city. Somehow news had gotten around that, hey, we've been intruded by some people, by some strange people. And Rahab was the one that showed that the responsibility of hiding these guys. And guess what? If we go to that story, we don't have time to go there now. But if we go to that story, Rahab told them something. She said, guess what, guys? I've heard of you people before. <laughs> Why are you not those people that, you know, your God rescued from Egypt and your God performed some great wonders on Pharaoh and all his servants and all his soldiers? Was it not Yipu's God that we heard that... Uh, you put across the Red Sea. Wow. That we've actually heard your news. Or your news has gone all over the world. We've heard about you guys, a nation that is migrating in the wilderness. And we've heard about how God has subdued several kings before you guys. And guess what? We are actually, we're actually scared to death about you guys. We're actually terrified because we know that you guys are going to pass through this city and we're in trouble. Guess what? You guys... I believe in your God. And you know what? I beg of you. I'm going to spare you guys. I beg of you that please spare me when, when your God gives this city over into your hands. She kept emphasizing on the fact that she believed that God was going to perform his promises to these Israelites. Now, James is saying here in retrospect that Rahab believed in the God of Israel, though she wasn't of the stock of Israel, 
but she believed in the God of Israel and she did something to prove her belief. She hid the spies. She didn't allow them to be discovered by the security um, agencies or whatever of Jericho and she let them escape. And those ones told her a sign that she should put up a red scarlet scarf, you know, down her window when they come to take over. And she let them go like that. When the security people came and they asked her, ah, we saw some spies come here. She was like, ah, you know what? I think they went out the other way. <laughs> she deceived them just because she believed in the God of Israel, Yahweh Elohim. She believed that he was going to perform his promises to his people. And it was accounted to her also for righteousness. And she was justified by her action of obedience. So, you see, just like what James says here, faith without works is just like the body without the spirit in it. When someone dies, the immaterial part of the person we cannot see departs from the body and the lifeless body is just there and it seems like the person is sleeping, but the person is actually, the real person is gone. So also, if you are claiming you have faith, you have faith. Oh, I have faith in God. I have faith in God. If it's not backed up by action, your profession of faith is as useless as a dead body. That's what the Bible is saying here. You see, no matter how you confess and how you profess from now till tomorrow, if you do not back up your profession or your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with obedience to him, it is as useless as a dead body. What did Jesus say in John? He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we know that biblical faith also works by love. So therefore, Jesus is saying also that if you believe in me, you will keep my commandments. I usually ask us this question sometimes, those who I'm quite familiar with. And the question is this. Do you believe that me that I'm talking right now, I exist? Do you believe I exist? Of course, the answer is a big yes, because you can hear me. You probably know me or something. But guess what? Do you believe in me? Now, that's a different question. If you believe in me, the only way you can prove that to me, for example, is to commit a huge part of your savings in the bank to my care. And be rest assured that in the next one year, you will meet it as you committed it to me. And I won't have spent your money. If you can do that, then you prove to me that indeed you believe in me. Not, that you, not just that you acknowledge that I am existing. A lot of believers of our generation, they just acknowledge that Jesus lived. He died. He was buried and he rose again. That is why... Many believers of our generation don't live a resurrection kind of life, if I'll put it that way. You see, uh, was it uh, A.W. Tozer that said something? He said that uh, I don't need a church of a thousand people. All I need is give me 10 brothers and sisters who would resolve to live like Jesus died yesterday Jesus died day before yesterday, was buried yesterday, and rose up this morning, and will turn the world upside down. <laughs> you see, your believing in Jesus Christ's sacrifice for you would make you live in a certain way. That is real biblical faith. If this is not your testimony yet, then your faith is not complete. Your faith is dead. 
if your believing in God's word has not led you, has not led you down the path of obedience and action towards the word that you know, then you've not started. Your faith is still very much dead. Lastly, I'll just reference this scripture. We might not turn there because of time. It's found in Matthew 7, where Jesus said, On that day, or we can turn there. Let's just read it since it's the last scripture I'm going to read. Let's turn there. Matthew 7. Okay. Matthew 7. From verse 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, mark that word says, okay? There is a profession, there's a confession there, right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does, mark the word does, who does the will of my father in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, which day, the day of judgment now, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many signs and wonders in your name? 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice. Mark that word, practice lawlessness. In verse, 20, in verse 21, there is a, he who does the will of my father. In verse 22, there is an argument going on that God, we did this, we did that, we did this. But Jesus was like, no, that's not the doing I'm talking about. There's another doing that I'm talking about. But you guys were doing something else, actually. You were doing lawlessness. You are acting as if there was no law to guide you. You are acting in rebellion towards God. Everything you are claiming you are doing is just for your own, your own hypocritical whatever reason. You see, so you see here again that there is a contrast between saying something and doing something. If we read James closely there, if we read um, the earlier verses of James that we read not too long ago now, you see that James was saying, oh, you believe that there is one God. Oh, fine. But guess what? Demons, if your faith stops at that, demons share that same kind of faith. The devil believes that there is God and he trembles at that knowledge because he knows that because of the fact that there is God, he's accountable to that God and he is judged already and his final destination is the lake of fire and these demons tremble. You see? So it's not just enough to acknowledge some facts that Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again. It's not just good enough to acknowledge certain facts about the gospel message. No. Real faith goes beyond acknowledging the facts of the gospel message. Real faith goes on ahead to adhere to God's instructions and live according to God's word. Remember the Bible says, the just shall go on living by faith. It's a consistent, continual persistent enduring lifestyle that you go on living by and you are living by the standards of the word of god and this is true biblical faith that god demands from everyone who comes to him and you see when we know this 
this would translate into the way we evangelize and the way we witness to unbelievers. You see, you are not telling them to just believe in the sense that, oh, just acknowledge. Oh, do you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord? I say, oh, I acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior. No, it's not about acknowledge. The real question we should ask is, from today, do you resolve to live according to the Lord Jesus Christ? From today, do you resolve to obey him as your Lord and reverence him as your Savior? From today, do you resolve to live according to his commandments and to love him as one who has saved you from judgment and who has saved you from destruction? That is the real question we should be asking. You know, Paul said in his defense in front of, uh, was it Felix now in Acts 26? He said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Many of us know that part, but we don't know the succeeding verse. He said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I preached to the Jews and to the Gentiles repentance and that they should prove their repentance by their deeds. You see that? So, it must be proven. That's the point here tonight. Biblical faith is something that can be perceived by the physical senses. It must be seen. There is nothing like faith in my heart and the fact that you can the fact that nobody can tell that I'm even living by faith, whether believers or unbelievers, uh, well that's their business. Me, I shall know in my heart I'm doing it. Meanwhile, on the outside, you are acting opposite direction from what your lips are confessing. That kind of faith will not save you according to what the Bible says. So tonight I just came to encourage us to know what biblical faith really is and to live according to it by the grace of God and by the strength of the Holy Spirit given to us. And I believe that this word has um, enlightened uh, us and I believe that the Holy Spirit would um, complete this work in our hearts and the Holy Spirit will enlighten us more and more in this direction because truly this is our foundation. This is what we rest on as believers there is, no, there is no need building a tall building if this foundation, this basic doctrine is not fixed. There is no point learning about other uh, uh, things in, in the Bible, learning about gift of tongues, learning about prophecy, learning about uh, gift of the Spirit, learning about uh, the interpretation, learning about uh, end time prophecies and all these other things. No. There's no point building the building itself if the foundation is not well fixed. Thank you very much, people, for um, your patience and uh, listening tonight. If um, there is anyone listening who does not know what um, congregation this is, this is uh, the church at Ogba. We meet physically on Sundays at uh, Excellence Hotel, Ogba Conference Room, three okay feel free to come and worship with us um if you are being led to god bless us all thank you very much for listening let's have a quick word of prayer before we go our dear heavenly father we thank you in the name of your dear son jesus christ our lord and savior we bless you and we adore you we thank you for giving us your word tonight once again however short uh, the time was 
We thank you, O God, for enlightening our eyes. We thank you, O God, because your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you because your word is what, uh, is what guides our footsteps away from the path of trespasses and transgressions and rebellion against you. Because your word says that your word we have hidden in our hearts that we may not sin against you. Therefore, we thank you for an understanding of your word. And more than that, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you give us strength and ability to obey you when you speak. We pray, O oh God, that you give us strength and ability to act on your instructions because it is in the doing of your word that we are blessed. We thank you and we give you all the glory one more time, Lord. For in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen.